to School Britannia, the podcast where two Aussies teach Brits their own history. This is my friend Claire. And this is my friend Ellie. And this is our Christmas Christmas special. What makes it special, Ellie? Well, we're sitting here by an open fire. Gremlin is curled up on the couch next to us and we've both got eggnog and mince pies and there's snow outside. Yes. No. And uh, Ellie, I believe this is the first time you've ever heard of mince pies. Well, look, I hadn't eaten a mince pie until I moved to the UK. I thought it was a meat pie situation. Wow. Yeah, that's not unheard of. Yeah. And originally they did have like cured sweet meats in them. Oh. Back, back in the day. Oh, no. But um, they're quite common in Australia, so I find it very surprising you hadn't had one before. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe my family's yeah. just not a mince pie family. That's fair. My nan used to make her own. Aww. We always have them. That's really cute. Yeah. They are delicious. They're great. I do like them. I'm really glad that you came to the UK just to experience that alone. Me too. And Yorkshire yeah. puddings. Yes. Oh, God bless. I'm really excited for Christmas, Claire. Me too. But we're not going to be in the UK for Christmas. Neither no. of us. So we're going to celebrate it a little bit early with you guys. Yeah. Um, and we're going to tell each other some little Christmas stories. Just little ones. Nothing too too fancy. Nothing too fancy. Just, yeah. So, Ellie, what Christmassy goodness are you going to teach me about? Claire, have you ever heard of Ebenezer Scrooge? Oh, I do believe I have. <laughs> Is this, this going to be about Dickens? Ah, uh, yeah, maybe. You know my feelings about Dickens. <laughs> Let me just get my tea here. Okay, let's snuggle up. Because uh, I'm going to read you a passage from A Christmas Carol. Excellent. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nicked his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rime was on his head, and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days, and didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. Bow, bow, bow. That was amazing. Thank you. I think what's been missing from Dickens this whole time is that you haven't been reading it to me. Totally. Oh no, gosh. seriously. <laughs> I love Dickens, and I love A Christmas Carol. It's my favourite, favourite Christmas story. Mostly because it doesn't once mention Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's no wise men. No. Just ghosts. <laughs> Just lots so of ghosts. So it's like spooky Christmas, which is perfect My for you. perfect thing. Yeah, yeah. And I really like the human kindness factor. Yes. Because the moral of the story is that we have to nurture human kindness in ourselves, especially at Christmas. Otherwise, the people around us suffer and we ourselves suffer. Yeah. I really like that moral. That's lovely. Yeah. But also, Scrooge is the best character I loved reading that passage. It makes me <laughs> so happy. He's very complex. Well, is he? He's just nasty. He's just yeah. a mean old man. I think it just makes him interesting, and I mistake oh, that yeah, for complexity. Yeah. I obviously only know uh, Christmas Carol through a Muppets. Muppets Christmas Carol. Yeah. How, How accurate yeah. is that? It's the best. <laughs> I love it so much. 
I watched bits of it while I was writing this. Yeah. Because it's just my favorite. I I adore it. And it's like it's legit. Yes. That's the story. Perfect. Yeah. Then I know it. I know it. Great. <laughs> well, I know it really well. Yeah, you're all over it. So you know about Scrooge. You know he's a mean old man. Yes. You know that he doesn't let his employees have a day off at Christmas. Correct. And he doesn't pay them properly. And he has a really just... rich cousin who's an anthropomorphized duck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't remember that bit. I obviously haven't yeah. read my Dickens properly. No, you're missing out on Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's nasty. But where did Charles Dickens get Scrooge from? Like Capitalism? Was his... <laughs> Did I ruin the punchline? No, you didn't at all. I I love you. Everything's always, always capitalism. Well, it's obviously some rich, grumpy old miser, and that's what capitalism will turn you into in the end, because it prioritises profit over people. You're very right. And that is the other moral of A Christmas Carol, the Karl Marx edition. But was there a specific person? Well, yes. And I've read a few different accounts of this, um... But this was my favourite because it's Edinburgh-based. Cool. So I mean, also not cool. It's not really a great legacy that no. you inspired the character <laughs> Scrooge. I mean, but Scrooge becomes redeemed in the end. True. So True. maybe not too bad. The story goes that prior to giving a lecture in Edinburgh in 1841, Dickens headed down to Canongate Kirkyard Ooh. for a little time-killing scroll. Stroll. <laughs> time-killing scroll. <laughs> eating a scroll while he strolled. We don't know. We weren't there. Have you been to Canongate? It's down the bottom of the Royal Mile. Yes. Yeah. I have. It's quite pretty, but down the back, it sort of descends really sharply towards the train tracks. And yes, it's a little bit it does. creepy and spooky. Yeah. So he was wandering around there when he stumbled upon a headstone in memoriam to Ebenezer Lennox Scroggy, a meal man. <laughs> What's a mealman? Well, a mealman is a corn merchant. But Dickens, maybe he was having a mild bout of dyslexia. Maybe there was some, like, lichen on the gravestone. Do they call it lichen here? Moss, something, covering it up. He mistook the mealman bit for a mean man. He thought someone put on someone's gravestone. Yeah. A mean man. And he was like, God, this guy must have been... So terrible if someone actually (laughs) carved a mean man onto his gravestone. So this gravestone just provided Dickens with a name and a basis for Ebenezer Scrooge. J.K. Rowling wasn't the first. Exactly. That's what I thought. Mm. It's not just, what's his name? Uh, uh, Tom Riddle. Yeah. But the gravestone doesn't say Voldemort. <laughs> there isn't a gravestone in Greyfriars Kirkyard that says Voldemort on it. There is if you rearrange the letters. Okay. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, getting inspiration from Edinburgh gravestones is not a new thing. Um, so, Ebenezer Scroggy's headstone was removed in the 1930s. I didn't know this when I went to Canongate Kirkyard to look for the gravestone oh, no. on the weekend. Uh, we just, Jane took me and we just wandered around for ages and ages and ages. And then eventually one of us Googled it and we were like, oh, it's not here. That's a shame. But he was a real guy. So, Scroggy was a cousin to economist Adam Smith. Do you know Adam Smith? Sounds familiar. Yeah, I should have looked this up before recording this. No, He's but I swear like I read his name with doing some stuff with He's some like things. The father of modern economics, yeah. I think, is the vibe. 
yeah. a capitalist through and through. Rude. Um, so Scroggy was born in Kirkcaldy. For our Australian mm. listeners, that is spelt K-I-R-K-C-A-L-D-Y. Kirkcaldy. I love the way the lady on the train says it. It's just so soothing. You are now arriving at Kirkcaldy. Exactly like a that. light here. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. Um, so he was born there in 1792. He was a vintner and a corn merchant, um, and he secured the first contract to supply whiskey to the Royal Navy officers at Leith, cool. and even became the chief beverages supplier for King George the Fourth's famous visit to Edinburgh in 1822. There are all these things named after George IV in Edinburgh because people were so happy that a royal came to Scotland. Because no one, I think no one had been since James I, rude, which is a long time. Just colonize a place and then forget about it. (laughs) So Scroggy lived in the grass market above what is now the Beehive Inn. Do you know the Beehive Inn? Yeah, nice. (laughs) It's a good spot. Yeah. So it's kind of, um, it's just before the Cowgate. Yeah. So if anyone's ever been to Edinburgh or lives in Edinburgh, it's just down from the castle. There's like a big ditch kind of thing. It's spooky. It's quite spooky. It's full of trashy people on the weekends. Mm. And ghosts. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything is full of ghosts all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But it used to be, like, I think quite a working class part of Mm. Edinburgh. I can see that. Like a trading hub. Grass market, I guess, makes sense. And the grass market, when Scroggy was around, was Edinburgh's main corn market, which mm. for a mealman, who's a guy who sells corn, that's his, that's his business. Pretty convenient. That's what it is. So Ebenezer Scroggy wasn't really like Scrooge at all. So it was just mere chance that associated him with Dickens' creation and a great name. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he probably would have been forgotten to history if. Dickens hadn't used him as inspiration. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there were other people that Dickens was like inspired to create the character. Oh, for sure. But I just love that Edinburgh has all these like weird graveyards that you can wander through and that give inspiration to all sorts of people. Yeah. It's amazing to see what their creative minds do with that. Yeah. Cool. So that is uh, Charles Dickens, Ebenezer Scroggy, and Ebenezer Scrooge. Well, the first Christmas miracle has occurred, Ellie, because I am warmed towards a Dickens story. Yeah. <laughs> nice work. My pleasure. That's so cool. I didn't realize it was an Edinburgh connection. Yeah. Nice. There you go. What will you be telling us about today? Well, Ellie. Yes. Going full Christmas. Woo! Talking to you about Christmas trees. <gasps> yes. Yes. So, you know I love ruining things with facts. Love. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love it. Um, and I talked a little bit in the Halloween episode when I was talking about Druids. Yes. About Christianity adopting pagan, uh, like pagan things. Yeah. yeah. So that's sort of basically where our Christmas trees start off. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in ancient Roman society, the fir tree was used to decorate the temples at Saturnalia, which was the festival that honoured the god Saturn, mm-hmm. and involved feasting and gift-giving. Whoa. <laughs> and it was a celebration in December. Wow. <laughs> yep. Um, and the Roman used fir trees as decoration, but also to represent everlasting life. Oh, because they're evergreen. Yes. Ah. And for thousands of years, pagan celebrations involving the use of branches to decorate homes in winter solstice was a thing. I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's the only thing that's green. Exactly. Yeah. It evokes themes of incoming seasons of spring where trees and flowers would bloom once more, according to 
a website I found. <laughs> <laughs> and your general observation. Yes. Yeah. To really obvious symbolism. So, as I mentioned in the Halloween episode, um, a letter that Pope Gregory I sent to Bishop Mellitus in the 6th century is this, like, big bit of evidence the early Christian church mm. actively adopting pagan things <gasps> into Christianity. Like, deliberately. Yes. Mm. So, in this letter, Greg suggested to the bishop that existing places of non-Christian worship be adopted and consecrated to serve a Christian purpose. Cheeky. Yep, and it's often provided as the evidence for this method of what is called acculturation, which mm. is sort of like absorbing one culture into another. Acculturation. Yeah. Um, so that went on for ages. That's why we have Christmas in December when apparently Jesus was actually born sometime around March. Huh. Clashed with Easter, so you know. <laughs> But the act of celebrating Christmas in the home with a tree is a Protestant German thing. Oh, yes. Because Prince Albert brought it to Britain. Is that right? No. No. More more to it than that. Oh, I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Look, that's what I thought. That's why I was like, I'm going to tell Ellie all about our obsession with Queen Victoria. (laughs) And that'll be that. But no. So legend has it that Martin Luther, the religious reformer, Mm -hmm. invented the Christmas tree. What? I know. Why? So on one winter's night in 1536, so the story goes, Luther was walking through a pine forest near his home in Wittenberg when he suddenly looked up and saw thousands of stars glinting jewel-like among the branches of a tree. That does sound nice. It does. This wondrous sight inspired him to set up a candlelit fir tree in his house that Christmas to remind... (laughs) fun. Exactly. And to remind his children of the starry heavens from whence Jesus came. Oh, wow. So it's a religious thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he's super religious. Like, he's all about religion with no fun. And mm. so he was like... <laughs> so says the Catholic. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> hey, they don't even have the, like, pretty fancy roads and shit that we get in our churches. It's very so sad. It's very bleak. <laughs> and that that was just supposed to be a tree to be like, hey, don't forget Jesus. <laughs> So by 1605, decorated Christmas trees had definitely made an appearance in southern Germany. Mm. For in that year, an anonymous writer recorded how at Yuletide, the inhabitants of Strasbourg set up fir trees in the parlours and hung thereon roses cut out of many coloured paper, apples, wafers, gold foil, sweets, etc. That sounds so nice. I know. So by the 1600s in Germany, everyone was doing this whole Christmas tree biz. Mm. And across the channel, in England... They had not been using trees to celebrate Christmas, mm-hmm. although the custom of decorating churches using evergreens, very pagan, yeah. have been practiced for a long time. Okay. But not whole trees. No, not okay. like a single tree around which you gather. Ah, interesting. Yes. So, the honour of establishing this tradition in the UK rightfully belongs to Good Queen Charlotte, the German wife of George III, ah. who set up the first known English tree at Queen's Lodge in Windsor in December 1800. Not Albert. No, 40 years before that. Ha. Really shocked me. Pipped at the post, mate. I know. There were other Germans. They were all interbreeding all the time. That's why you all had haemophilia. So in the Duchy of Mecklenburg-Strelitz. You're doing very well with these. Thank you. I look forward to being criticised on my German later. (laughs) Which is where Queen Charlotte grew up. Um, It was the custom to deck out just a single yew branch. Oh, that was their thing, personally. 
So when young Charlotte left in 1761 and came over to England as a child, she bought with her all these customs that she practiced, mm. including this U branch business. Mm-hmm. And in 1800, she decided to put up an entire U tree, like just go all out because she's like, I'm, I'm a fucking queen. queen. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right? Isn't like that's what you would do too. Oh, yeah. And she covered it with baubles and fruit and loaded it with presents and stood it in the middle of the drawing room floor at Queen's Lodge and was like, have at kids. Nice. Have a free fruit. And they did. Have free fruit? <laughs> I bet they hung fruit off it. Oh. The kids all stole the fruit. It was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Dr. John Watkins, one of Queen Charlotte's biographers who attended the party, provides us with a vivid description of this captivating tree. <clears throat> From the branches of which hung bunches of sweetmeats, almonds and raisins and papers, fruits and toys, most tastefully arranged, the whole illuminated by small wax candles. After the company had walked round and admired the tree, each child obtained a portion of the sweets it bore, together with a toy, and then all returned home quite delighted. (laughs) It's just so British. Uh, yeah, so by the time she died in 1818, the Christmas tree tradition was firmly established in high society. <laughs> firmly established. Oh, nice. Thank you. Oh, that was great. <laughs> uh, and it continued to flourish throughout the 1820s and 30s, and Christmas trees became all the rage in like upper class circles. Wow. Um, and then in December 1840, Prince Albert imported several spruce firs from his native Coburg. Aww. And they weren't novels for the aristocracy, but a bunch of, like, big periodicals uh, printed a bunch of drawings of him and his family oh, around these trees. Because everyone was obsessed with Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, yeah. they were like, we're going to do the same thing. Mm. So that's when they got, like, really popular and the masses started having Christmas trees at home. Cool. Yeah. And so by 1860, there was scarcely a well-off family in the land that did not sport a Christmas tree in parlour or hall. Mm. Yeah. And by 1880, Woolworths was selling the first manufactured tree ornaments, which were very popular. Woolworths has been going since 1880? Yeah, it was like a department store. Wow. Yeah. But it wasn't until the 1920s that Christmas trees were, like, in every single house. Like, okay. it wasn't just a class thing. It was a... Everybody. Everyone thing. had a tree. Wow. Yeah. And that's why we have a Christmas tree. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Do you um, like Christmas trees? I always got excited and mum would be like here's the decorations have fun and I would basically hang three and then be like no I'm bored now (laughs) and then mum would have to finish it so I like the concept but I don't like the work which Mm. is kind of the story of my life (laughs) yeah do you always had a Christmas tree yeah when I was growing up in Tasmania we had a pencil pine in a pot that we just used to roll it so it's a native Tasmanian tree Um, and yeah, we just used to bring it in from the veranda every year and decorate this <laughs> yes. tree. My grandparents did the same thing. They had a like Christmas tree in a pot, but it was a very weird type of tree. It wasn't, yeah. a, it wasn't a pine tree. I don't <laughs> Maybe know it was. Maybe it was a pencil pine as well. Maybe. And then, yeah, we would decorate it every year and then they just drag it back out to the backyard. It's, it was a good system. Yeah. yeah. Much more environmentally friendly Much. than water intensive pine growing. Yeah. Yes. That's true. Yeah. Mm, and I yeah now don't have Christmas trees because I'm lazy and that's the moral of the story (laughs) so Claire and I are both going back to Australia for Christmas yes so we're going to be taking a little break for Um, an indeterminate amount of time yes 
But we'll be back in the new year. Yes. With lots of exciting history tidbits. So many. Just so I have many. so many things I need to tell you about. I'm so excited. <laughs> you too. Yes. I mean, me too. I mean, oh, we're tired. <laughs> we're very tired. It's been a big year. Huge year. And thank you all for listening. Thank this you so much. Been it's been so- lovely sharing it yeah, with you. It's been such a lovely journey. And, yeah. And I can't wait to continue it. Have a wonderful holiday time and have a happy new year. Merry Christmas, everybody. Bye. Bye.